Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, today's episode, folks, is going to be a pretty good one because we're going to dissect the understanding of electrical equipment that has to be identified, labeled, or listed. And we're going to dive into each one of those definitions, and I'm going to give you an example. And we're also going to talk about a proposed code change that looks like it's not going to make it. It looks like it's not going to be passed, at least from a task group, but it probably should. And again, the voting is not going to go in our favor, but we're going to discuss that one on today's episode. So sit back, cue the intro. All right. Well, welcome to another edition of Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code and, of course, all things electrically related. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host, as always, and I want to thank you for taking the time to join me on this podcast. Hopefully, you're going to learn something today. So, as many people might know, we're currently involved in the 2023 evaluation uh, of the National Electrical Code, where we're co-panel members are now looking at all the public inputs that have come in over the past year. And we're trying to look at the different public inputs to see whether or not they have merit to move on to the full committee for vote, because we're broken out into these task groups. And again, in COVID times, uh, we're used to doing this really in a room together and, and hashing these things out. But, you know, it's kind of, by this time, I think most of us are probably zoom drunk uh you know whereas we're just uh what is it or maybe you want to say it's um microsoft team drunk or join me drunk or whatever you want to call it we're just so tired of these remote meetings but they got to be done because we have a lot of work to do and so we just recently had a meeting and one of the topics came up uh, that deals with identified and using the word identified as well as listing and labeling and the context between them. And I think that maybe everybody doesn't understand what's trying to be done here uh, in this public input in order to clarify some things. So we want to do that, and it, um, it kind of 
makes it clear to many people why we're doing it. So, But before we do that, we do have to run a commercial to thank everybody for visiting our electricianpride.com store where all your T-shirts, all the support, master electrician, journeyman electrician, electrical inspector, engineer, T-shirts, uh, I guess, uh, what, hoodies, all those type of things. So check out this commercial, and then we'll get into today's episode. Today's show is sponsored by electricianpride.com. Your one-stop shop for electrician-specific t-shirts, hoodies, phone cases, mugs, die-cut stickers, leggings, and so much more. Featuring unique designs for electricians, journeymen, and master electricians, as well as electrical engineers and electrical inspectors. For more information on all the products that are available, visit us at www.electricianpride.com today. All right, so we got that out of the way. Hopefully you check us out over there. Some neat little stickers that are available. Check them out. They look good on your hard hats. Look good on your code books. Good news. Also, I should mention that we have our P-tabs available, so if you need to tab out your 2020 NEC, go to our website, masterthenec.com, and you will see some awesome P-tabs personally designed by me. And we should have are J-tabs coming very soon, okay? Those are going to be tabs that deal with the most significant tables that are in the NEC, and they're going to go across the top of your code book, okay? Anyway, that's future coming. They're not out yet, but they will be out soon. But if you want the P-tabs, check out the website, masterthenec.com. Check them out. They really stand out compared to some of the other that are on the market. And so they're really good, and they have all the pertinent code references necessary to help you maneuver the NEC, But we also have the index tabbed out as well. So that's going to save you some time uh, in finding things in the index. All right. And remember, time is of the essence. Whether you're on the job and your foreman needs an answer, your owner needs an answer, or you're taking a test, time is always of the essence. So again, great added uh, tool to add to your code book. All right. So let's kind of talk a little bit about this, this thing that took place. So here's what I want to talk about. So during the... Uh, 2023 cycle, there was a submission for 250.8, and I don't know how familiar you are with 250.8, but in 250.8, and of course, you know, for those that are following along in your code book, uh, it's always easy to go to 250.8, and what you're going to see is kind of a list, and this list of the connections of grounding and bonding equipment and the permitted methods. And there's one through eight. Um, You're permitted to do any of these. But what it said in the code currently, in the 2020 code, again, we'll get to the difference in identified, listed, and labeled. Trust me, we're going to get there. I'm building this anticipation. Here's what it says in the code right now under 250.8a. It says, equipment grounding conductors, equipment grounding conductors, oh, excuse me, equipment grounding conductors, grounding electrode conductors, and bonding jumpers shall be connected by one or more of the following means, okay? So you had this list, you know, starts out with number one. It says listed pressure connectors, and it ends at eight, which is other listed means. So you could have some other listed means. Um, but the controversy came up with this public input by a very well-known educator, an author of books, and a good friend of mine, um, brought up this thing about, well, what if you have an extremely large conductor and you couldn't utilize, let's say, option five or six, and you wanted to be able to utilize it, and 
Personally, you wouldn't utilize five or six in that size wire because, again, you wouldn't be able to terminate it to it. Uh, There's other methods that are here, but you know what? The change in the code was to add language that says it has to be identified or listed. And the question is, five and six on this list, which is machine screw-type fasteners that engage not less than two uh, threads, or six, thread-forming machine screws that engage not less than two threads of an enclosure. And again, we're not talking about things like sheet metal screws. That wouldn't work. Uh, We're not talking about that. Um, We're not talking about machine screws that don't have what? Not less than two threads. And typically, if you think of a piece of sheet metal and it cuts it, it's really only creating one uh, thread, really. Um, So that wouldn't work. It has to create not less than two threads. So um, you have machine screws that are actually will be in back of boxes that are already cut and tapped, okay, self-tapping that actually create those two threads or whatnot. But they're not necessarily something that a machine screw type fastener or a thread forming uh, that does meet this rule, they're not really listed. Um, There's no requirement for listing. Now, the other thing that that came in to be is this says, well, you could use the connection, let's say, with a nut and bolt through a drilled hole, okay, and you put a nut on it. And that's the concept in item number five, where it says a machine screw type fastener that engages not less than two screws or, okay, so if it doesn't engage two screws or are secured with a nut. So you maybe you, you, you drilled your hole a little too big. Okay, you put the screw through, you put a nut. Now, maybe that... You wouldn't take a conductor to that. Like a 250 case mill can't go to that. However, it could go to a lug that is supported by a machine screw with a nut on it. You follow me? And they're not necessarily going to have anything to do with a listing. Okay? So the point being is when you make terminations and you're following this list, there's some things in here that are not listed. Of course, it talks about listed pressure connectors, but there's things that are not listed. So the proposal was trying to clear up and say, we want things that are identified for the use and listed for the use, or listed for the use, I should say. Um, And again, I'm paraphrasing the public input, but that was its mission. And the question with that was, we know that machine screws and we know that thread-forming machine screws uh, are not a listed product. Uh, But, The proposal said, but they could be identified for a use. And so that's why we want to examine the definitions of identified, listed, and labeling. Now, it looks like this public input's not going to go through, although it could be brought back up at the full committee. Uh, But personally, I think that the definition or the new language was pretty good. Why do I say that? Well, let's use an example. So green screws that, you know, that you might have that you'd use in in the back of a box, okay? Just an electrical grounding screw. Uh, Doesn't have to meet UL-467. It does have the two threads. It does meet all that. Um, A lot of people think it needs to be ground, but that's only green. I mean, green, it only has to be green. It's only on devices and in things like main bonding jumpers and things like that. So... At the end of the day, 
if it is a screw that doesn't get a listing, but it conforms to one of the options here in the list, uh, most notably, it's probably going to be number six, which is a threaded forming screw, a machine screw that engages not less, or it's probably going to be a machine screw type fastener that does engage not less than two threads. So that's how it meets it. Now, when a manufacturer, for example, makes it a green screw and it's not required to be green in its application, the back of a junction box, metal box, let's say, then they are identifying it for a purpose. They're identifying it for a use. Whether it has to be green or not, it's irrelevant. They're identifying it for a use. Now, the green colored screw that is on devices, that's a requirement. Uh, And main bonding jumper, the green and all that green finish, that's one thing. But nothing in the code requires it to be green for a simple screw hexagon that's in the back of a metal box that you're going to use. That might be a machine screw with a pre-threaded hole in the back of this four-inch square box, let's say, that is going to engage not less than two threads. Perfectly okay, right? Nothing out of the norm there. Now, I know that there are going to be some people that say, no, 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 Paul, those screws have to be green. Well, then I'm going to direct you to 250.126, which is the identification of wiring device terminals. And under that, it tells you that it has to be either a green, not readily removable terminal screw with a hexagonal head or a green hexagonal, not readily removable terminal nut or three, a green pressure wire connector. If the terminal of the equipment grounding conductor is not visible, the conductor entrance hole shall be marked with the word green or ground or the letter G or GR. Uh, and that's where you, you push it up into it and you make that connection. Okay. So it actually goes up into the device and then you have a screw that you can screw down. Then you have to have some identifier on the outside entrance to the hole that you're sticking the, uh, the equipment ground up into you with me. All right. And other than that, it has to be, uh, other than having those markings on it, green or ground or G or GR symbol, or otherwise identified distinctly green color in nature. Um, okay. So you have your, your, your requirements, okay, to do this under 250.126. This does not apply to the screws that you would bond to the back of a four-inch square metal box. And now, again, people say, well, okay, I know that I remember green somewhere else in the code that it's required to green. Again, I'm going somewhere with this. So just, you know, I tell people all the time, I said, just bear with me. So then if we were to go back and say, okay, well, I remember that main bonding jumpers to be green uh, or something familiar, something that, that tells me that it has to be that type of concept. Okay. Well, if we do that, then we're going to go back to 250.28. And when we go back to 250.28, then we can look and here's where it says and kind of reading all of this, it's telling me that a main bonding jumper can be, or, or an assisting bonding jumper can be a wire, bus, screw, or similar suitable conductor. And this goes along with saying all of those qualify, obviously, as a conductor. Now, when it comes to construction, 25028B, it says where a main bonding jumper or a system bonding jumper is a screw only, okay, 
that the screws shall be identified with a green finish that shall be visible with the screw installed. After it's installed, it's got to be green. Um, now, that's 250.28B. So those are your, your green markings. So let's takes us back to this small little screw, green screw you buy in a box of them that are not covered under UL 467 because that is the UL standard for safety, grounding, and bonding of equi- you know, equipment, uh, bushings and all this, grounding bushings and whatnot like that. Not the same concept here. Typically, screws are not going to be um, listed or labeled. However, they are going to conform okay, to the requirements that follow 250.8. And that means that you're going to utilize probably option B, which is 250.88A5, and that is machine screw type fasteners that engage not less than two threads. Now, of course, as the submitter stated, these are obviously not going to be used for something like a, a 250 Casey mill. It's just too big. So you're going to have to use lugs. But that is why it's so important for us to change this, this, the language in 258.8a to say that it has to be identified for use or listed. Now, many people would say, okay, well, when it says identified, does that open up a can of worms? And I'm going to tell you no, because if you understand the terminologies, the way identified is defined, Let's say that we choose item number five and the hole's too big and we put a bolt through it or a machine screw and we put it through and it's too loose. It's, it's not engaging because we made the hole too big. Uh, and then we put a nut on it. And then that's used to hold on a terminal bar or a, ter- um, not a bar, a, a lug, okay? Some people will say, well, that machine screw is not identified for that. Now, if you understand identified, this gives the AHJ the ability to say, okay, it doesn't have to be uh, listed. It doesn't have to be labeled. Uh, it is identified by the AHJ's approval or the context of what this, this machine screw is all about. Because in item five, it's telling me that it's a machine screw type fastener that engages not less than two threads or or meaning it can't engage two threads, but it is a machine screw that is secured with a nut. And if that's the case, then it gives the leeway for the AHJ to say that is identified because you're not going to get nuts and bolts that are going to be listed under any UL standard for this application. So by saying identified and then going back to the definition of identified, it just works better with all of the items that are listed here in 1 through 8 of 250.8a. Where prior to this, again, some people say it's not broke, don't fix it, because by not calling that out, you still get to use these items in 1 through 8, and that's fine. But I do believe that using the context of the word identified as it's written in the definition is simply gives the tools to the AHJ to say, I'm okay with that. Without that, they really have no say. So there is two camps on this. Uh, Many people say this is totally unnecessary, and that's fine. But what I say is the addition of it doesn't hurt anything, and it really makes the AHJ have to make a decision if something is identified for the application. And a machine screw with a nut on it is going to be identified 
for this application. It's going to be fine for what it's being used for. Okay? Securing and fastening, that's what they do. That's what they're there for. Okay? So, um, but really, does it change the concept of what we're already been doing for years in 250.8A? 250.8A5 or 6? Absolutely not. It's just saying that something has to be identified and that's where we get into this discussion about the difference between identified, listed, and labeled. Okay? So now, that was the proposal for the 2023 in order to just simply add something that has to be identified or listed for its use. Okay? All right. Now, with that said, let's go to the definitions. And this is what we're going to have for the uh, definitions. I don't believe there's any submitted change to these definitions. At least I haven't seen it yet. It could be. But I haven't seen any. So the first one that we want to look at, since we were talking about it, is the term identified. Now, you see that it's in parentheses after identified. It says, when we say identified, we're talking about equipment and the identification of equipment for a specific use okay, or purpose. Now, when you read this, it says, the definition says, recognizable as suitable for a specific purpose, function, use, environment application, and so forth, where described in a particular code requirement. So somewhere in the code, it might say that something is required to be identified for the use. Now, one way of determining, and the informational note kind of alludes to that, one way of determining for a specific use is to look for something that might be listed and labeled. If it's listed and labeled for use to say in a wet location, then that's an easy way for something to clearly be also identified for specific use. However, that's an informational note, meaning that an AHJ could make a determination that something's identified for specific use. Okay? In fact, de facto, we do this all the time. When we use the, uh, those screws, they go into the back of a box. As long as it meets the requirements of the two threads and 258A, uh, five, then it's acceptable. And we've done that for years. They're not covered under any specific listing. Okay. Um, now, you can go get what's called UL 467, which is, again, the UL standard for safety, grounding, and bonding equipment. Gives you a list of things like clamps and bushings and all that that are listed for grounding and bonding. But the screws itself that go into something like a 4x4 a four four box, metal box, um, that does not cover those types of screws. But at least we know that in 250.88A, that they at least have to meet at least the thread contact requirement to do this. And so when a manufacturer sells me a box of green screws that, as you saw, are not required to be green, they're identifying it. From a manufacturer's position, they're identifying, it's identified for specific use. It's being used for conductor grounding and bonding. Again, probably more often, these are going to be for 14, 12s, and 10s in the back of the boxes. Uh, The manufacturer will probably give you guidance on that um, as part of their listing for, uh, well, I shouldn't say listing because it's not necessarily listed, but part of their marking instructions. How about that? Sound better? And they're going to tell you what it's used for, okay? Okay. Now, the informational note is just reminding you that there are ways 
that we can provide evidence to the inspection agency, the authority having jurisdiction, that something is identified because it is also listed and labeled for specific use, purpose, intent, uh, application. And though that meets an easy answer for the AHJ, he goes, okay, I'm convinced it's identified. Okay. But you can't put everything in that nifty little tidy package, right? So there's other things that get utilized that are not necessarily listed or labeled, but a manufacturer may identify them for specific use because there is no listing or labeling protocol for these components, okay? So again, the screw was just an example because it's very pertinent to the public input that's being submitted right now uh, for the 2023. All right, so that's identified. Uh, And again, no relation to listing and labeling, except listing and labeling can be used to confirm something is identified for specific use, okay? So that's how it would go. Now, the next thing we want to look at is labeled. What does the term labeled? Because so we, we fully understand identified. It is no relation to listing and labeling, although by that process can meet an identified. An AHJ, it's kind of like an approval. They could say something is actually uh, identified for specific use, but more often than not, they're not going to make that call on their own. What they're going to do is say, give me something from the manufacturer that says that it's identified for this specific use, and who knows better than the manufacturer. So you can't require a listing on something that does not have a listing standard, right? It makes no sense. So that's how it's usually done, okay? Now, when you move on to something, you have to look at listed, uh, listed and labeled. And I will bring it to you in context to what I work with and on an everyday basis, even though I, I formerly worked for NEMA and now I, you know, I work for Encore Wire, a large wire and cable manufacturer. Uh, and uh, our products, all of our products are listed and all of them are subsequently labeled. So what does that mean? So when you think about a product again, or even a service in many of these cases, let's talk about it from a context of a product, because as an electrician, we're working with products all the time. So let's look at the term labeled. It says, here's the definition under the 2020 edition of the National Electrical Code. It says, equipment or materials to which have uh, has been attached a label, symbol, or other identifying mark of a organization that is acceptable to the authority having jurisdiction and concerned with product evaluation that maintains periodic inspection of production of labeled equipment or materials and by whose labeling the manufacturer indicates compliance with appropriate standards or performance in a specific manner. Okay, so kind of put the cart before the horse here. Because you have to have a product listed, and we'll talk about that definition, but let's assume you know nothing about listing right now. Let's assume that we had something listed, you just take it for what I tell you, and now as a manufacturer, we're required to put some labeling. Now, sometimes components are very small, so the labeling will be on the packaging. It might not necessarily be on the component, Um, but take our wiring cable. So on our wiring cable, we have to put certain marks on there, and we put it at certain intervals on the actual individual conductor's insulation. Uh, And sometimes we put it on the cable itself, like non-metallic sheath cable. We will mark the cable itself, the cable assembly out on the outer sheathing. Uh, A tray cable, same concept. Um, And with non-metallic sheath cable, we won't mark the inner conductors. We're not required to, but we do put all the markings on the sheathing. 
So understanding all those type of things, that is our marking requirement. And we have to do it at certain intervals. And that is when we do the marking, we're labeling that equipment. Now, things like MC cable, we're going to put the labels on the actual coil package. Okay, We don't have to put it on the armor itself. So there's different things that manufacturers utilize as part of conformance with a specific ANSI UL standard. Uh, And so that's the labeling process. Now, probably, like I said, probably should have done the listed first. And if I had to do that over again, I probably would go to the listed, and then I would talk about after it's listed, we're talking about label. But now that you fully understand what a labeling requirement means, let's look at the listing requirement or the listed requirement. Now, here's what it says, again, under the National Electrical Code. Uh, Oh, I should also mention under label, there is an informational note that's new to the 2020. And again, informational notes are just really good information. It says, if a listed product is of such a size, shape, material, or surface texture that it is not possible to apply legibly the complete label to the product, the complete label may appear on the smallest unit container in which the product is uh, packaged. Again, you heard me kind of allude to that. So we put marking, uh, it's just no way to put it, no way to adhere it. It's just the texture of it won't allow it to stay on an MC. So we put it on the packaging. Now, the reason we also do this, because you could have some really small components like screws, okay? They're not required to be listed at all, like we said. But there are other types of terminals, stay cons, things like that, that or, or wire nuts, as a great example. A box of wire nuts, you could not put this on the wire nut, but you can put it on the box, on the smallest container. So that's why we do that, okay? And wire nuts do get listed. So... Uh, wire binding devices. So if you think about this concept, this is informational notes just reminding you that you might not see the label on the component, especially if it's small or it's due to the size or the shape or the material uh, or any of uh, surface um, textures that would not allow you to put a label. Just go to the packaging and you can get that. Okay. No big deal, right? Okay. So that's an informational note to remind people of that. Now back to the listing. Here's what it says for listed, which also has an informational note as well. And again, I am not a big fan of informational notes under definitions. I am a big fan of informational notes throughout the NEC. But anytime we need clarity, I guess I better be more of a fan of an informational note because obviously it does bring some additional clarity to the user of the code. So under listed, it says this. I'm going to read it directly what the code says here. It says equipment, material, or services included in a list published by an organization that is acceptable to the AHJ and concerned with the evaluation of products or services that maintains periodic inspection of production of listed equipment or materials or periodic evaluation of services and whose listing states that either the equipment, material, or service meets appropriate designated standards or has been tested and found suitable for a specific purpose. Okay, so in our case, if our wiring cable, which again, within the different articles of the National Electrical Code, require it to be listed, says it has to be listed, then in that case, it gets subject to periodic inspection. And in our case, about five to six times a month, 
plus random inspection out in the field means they the UL is who we use as our third party. You could use ETL or whatever as a manufacturer. Um, all of us have to conform their products to a UL ANSI standard, but that's an ANSI standard as well. Once you give the evaluation in order to be able to put the mark on it that says that third party says you're in conformance and you meet the requirements of that initial construction standard, then you can choose who you want to use. Now, we choose UL, but there are other NRTLs out there, nationally recognized testing laboratories that you could use in order to get your listing. All right, now, in our case with us, um, once that product is listed, it's evaluated on a multiple stages within our facility, which is, again, when you sign up for that program, they can come in at any time and take samples and, and test those samples to make sure you're still constructing it so that you don't make something on, on a Monday and then turn around and once the inspection's done, you start dropping it down to a poor grade material simply to save money because you're always under the subject of an inspection. So it forces you to keep the high quality control in your facility if you volunteer to that program. And we, of course, do and most manufacturers do. Now, once it meets that listing, saying that we conform it in that stand, standard, then it becomes listed. And then, of course, we have to subsequently label it as such for our products anyway. And then so anywhere in the National Electrical Code that says something that has to be listed, you can verify that listing because of the labeling uh, and the marking requirements that we put on our product or on our packaging in order to tell you that, yes, we are listed. So that is an important concept to understand. List it, and then listing to be able to prove it to people, to prove it to the inspectors, to prove it to the world, to the industry, then we would label it. And again, you have some leeway on how you label, but again, that's kind of what we're doing. Now, there's other things out there called classified labeling and things like that for components, but at the end of the day, it's all about conformance to an initial construction standard. Now, when it comes to something that is, again, identified, when you're identifying it's something that is very broad. You can use listed and labeling to validate identification for a specific use, purpose, uh, application. That's one way to do it. But again, you could have a manufacturer who identifies something for a specific use. And a good example of that would be the green screws that go in the back of a four-inch square metal box, which don't have to be green. But they identify it for that specific use. That is done through the manufacturer. And they have identified. So that's kind of a, a way to wrap your head around something that is identified versus something that is listed and subsequently labeled. Now, remember, there are other applications in the code where certain things don't have to be listed. Okay. Now, there's certain wireways, for example, that aren't required to be listed. Now, they have to be constructed in, to a specific thickness and dimensions of the metal and whatnot. Uh, I should say the, the thickness, really the biggest deal with the metal. But other than that, they're not all required to be listed. But a vast majority of things in the code are required to be listed. Okay. And subsequently, the only way that we can convince the industry, the inspectors, people out there is to obviously label it accordingly to validate the listing of the product for conformance, especially when consumers will install it, an inspector will come out and he'll look at it and say, how do I know this is okay for use in a building? When it comes to wire and cable, how do I know that it has flame retardant properties? How do I know that it's for use in a wet location 
or a damp location or a dry location, uh, if I don't have the markings, if I don't have it and know that my product was evaluated under a third party and it subsequently earned its listing, it became listed. And then, of course, now we're going to label it in some way. We're going to put our required markings that are a requirement of maintaining that listing under that third party in RTL. You with me? That's kind of how it, the big picture. But what I wanted to really make it hammer home was it identified, can use listed and labeled to identify something for specific use, but manufacturers could also identify something. And to be honest with you, an AHJ could identify something for specific use. I encourage AHJs not to do that. Make sure that the electrician supplies you some supporting documentation so that you aren't on the hook for that. But at the end of the day, there's a vast difference between something that is identified for use. So closing this out, I think that adding identified or listed in the new 250.8a is probably a good thing because it forces us to use something that somebody is going to have to say it's identified for use or they accept that use. So when an AHJ accepts a machine screw with a nut on it, we know that doesn't have to be listed certainly not going to be labeled, but it's identified as what? A fastener to be able to hold on maybe a lug, all right? And that would be okay, and so no harm, no foul. It's perfectly acceptable, and if you think about it, we've done that all through the code anyway when it comes to using 250.8A5 and 6. Um, They're not listed, but we allow them all the time, So we're identifying them as okay for specific use. Now, whether you agree or disagree with that mentality, then you're going to have to submit a public input to change it because that's literally what the code says. If you don't agree with my interpretation, that's fine. But it is what it is. And I think that the public input was a little bit of a step in trying to clarify item five and six that they are can be identified, but they're not going to be listed And so they're also not going to be labeled. Hopefully that was going to clear it up, but we don't know. We'll see what happens, but hopefully you got something out of today's episode until next time, folks, stay safe. God bless.